fandom? Well, I'm glad you asked. Fandom is your obsession with TV, movies, comics, and books. Fandom is debating whether or not Goku or Superman would win in a fight. Clearly, it's Batman. Fandom is about liking things. Join us weekly on Fandom as we talk about all of that and more. Subscribe at fandompodcast.com. Bond. James Bond. I suppose listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, our ongoing podcast series on the movies of the James Bond universe. We are back with a Bond movie this week, Tomorrow Mm -hmm. Never Dies. We've taken a uh, hiatus from Bond as we've done Bond-adjacent stuff the last three weeks, and we're back. We're back with James Bond, and we're back with the best spy team around. Uh, I am Andy Wilson. Uh, you can find me writing on Bleeding Cool. Uh, sometimes, although not as much recently, but sometimes. Uh, and Brooke Heim. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. We're glad that you're back. And well, I didn't miss the last one. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Still. <laughs> I mean, but it's been like a week, so, you know, it's kind of uh... like... You know, anyway, and and Mark, Mark, you're back. I uh, want to say a deep hello for all the Cowboy fans out there. <laughs> we won our first game this week. Who are these Cowboys you speak yeah, of? Yeah, they still what have is- <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, for three quarters, I was cursing them and swearing I was never going to watch again. And then they won, so uh, I'll, I'll keep watching. Uh, excellent. And another Cowboys fan, I believe, returning yeah. champ Melissa Martinez. Yeah, I uh, the bandwagon got real light in the third quarter. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. Uh, oh, jumping ship. I, I I would never jump ship on my team, which proves that I have at least some kind of masochistic streak in me. Um, uh, yeah. I feel the same way. Only my masochistic streak is well known. <laughs> I feel like anyone who can support the Cowboys despite Jerry Jones it, like deserves some sort of medal. Like that that's amazing that you can that you can like do that. So well, you can like send it along with congratulations. I'm just surprised that Andy knows who's who and what's what. I I know I know you. things. I don't know I don't know anything about like the sport of what's go what happened in the games, but I know about like the corporate ownership of the NFL. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> of course I do. And he lives in Texas. You can't I don't care what part of Texas you but live in. That is true. You know who Jerry Jones is. I mean Yeah, even yeah. even in yeah. Canyon, even Amarillo, Texas, like we knew. We knew. Yeah, and by the way, Jerry Jones is the biggest carpet bagger ever. Ugh. Yeah, well, he makes sure that we all know who he is. He built, he got a, he got the taxpayers of, um, of the Dallas Fort Worth area to build him a giant monument to his ego. So, Did congratulations, he the where they, in which they sometimes <laughs> play football. That's, a, that's an East Coast theme, Brooke. 
Yeah, no. if he didn't deflate the f- footballs, then he might not be the biggest carpetbagger. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There's yeah. There's those deflators. But what? What's the Patriots owner's name? Kraft. Yeah, Robert, Robert Kraft. Kraft. Right. Yeah. Mister, okay. finish my massage. I'm so impressed <laughs> by you, Andy. Well, hey, we can we can talk about that because he got all wrapped up in that uh, whole. Um, I I still think that there's something else to that massage scandal. Oh yeah, there is. Of that, course, that mm. there's some sort of international intrigue to that because that place is a very obvious front for like Chinese child sex trafficking, and that got covered up and forgotten really damn quickly. Yep. And given the fact that she caters to like rich and famous clients Chinese intelligence I'm just I'm just saying she has taken pictures with Donald Trump yeah so you know you know but you know QAnon that's a real thing (laughs) that's a real thing we need to worry about anyway speaking of Chinese intelligence uh, tomorrow never dies yeah, um, the the first film featuring uh, a um, a member of the of Chinese intelligence as Bond's foil, uh, starring Michelle Yeoh, um, who is just amazing, and that to me is the headline for Tomorrow Never Dies: is Michelle Yeoh all day, every day. I couldn't so. agree more. Yes. Yeah. So what what do we love about Michelle Yeoh? What don't we love? That's everything. everything. <laughs> I, love I, love the, I love how she's a counterbalance to Bond, but like she she's just so effective as a spy. And she's a badass. She's just kicking ass left and right. Yeah. I wish I wish there were more of her. I mean, we get one great fight scene with her. And Yeah. That's it. It's like, well, we got Pierce Brosnan out of here so we can actually have like Michelle Yeoh kick some ass for a while, do like some actual martial arts stunts, and then it's over in two minutes. Well, you know what, Andy? Um, so I don't, I don't know how old she was when she filmed this, but she's a lot older now, and she's mm-hmm. on Discovery, and she yeah. does on Discovery. She does her, she does some of her stunts, or I don't know if she does all of them. But what's impressing is like her high level kicks. Dude, the, she must be hitting close to 60 and she's like still doing roundhouses. Mm-hmm. I can't even tie my shoes without like dying. <laughs> right? Oh she God. is so good on Discovery. Yoga and I couldn't like, I was so embarrassed. I was like, all right, COVID, you've had your time. But that one wasn't me. That I just. Me. <laughs> That's okay. Take a drink. Somebody's somebody's R two D two phone went off. <laughs> That's the drinking game of the podcast. Um, Between the two of us. No, she is so good on Discovery. I love her in that role yeah. so much because, it, you know, spoilers if you haven't seen the pilot of Discovery, but like she's there. She's in this great mentor role, and then she's gone. And you're like, oh, we're we're not gonna see her anymore. And then she comes back, and she and she's, 
evil and now she is like the most she's like the most evil person in the universe literally and it's like oh my gosh she's so good she's the best villain in the world but no no she's not a villain though she's the james bond of the star trek world because she does bad things but it ends up helping the right people but she's from the evil universe. Come on. Yeah, but she's not evil here. Mm. Uh, that's debatable. I mean, she's in the gray. Like, can we agree on that? Yes. Right. I think that's, yeah. Yeah, um, there you go. But remember, she has to be, like, if people, in her past, if people benefited from her villainous ways, it was like... A byproduct. It wasn't the reason that she did it. You understand? Right. She had to be convinced to do the right thing. You know, later on, like in in the present day of the show, um, and, and and still, even still, part of the reason why she did the right thing is because it benefited her as well. Because she got to live, you know. <laughs> right. But I mean, I so she did some pretty twisted things, and. and you know, the thing is, you have to really pay attention when there's not a lot of action going on. Some of the stories she told about her past, you, you can't say she's a, you know, the hero exactly. You know what I'm saying? No, she's not. Right. Yeah. Um, but but seeing her being villainous, seeing her, and here's the thing that really impressed me. They let her be sexy. Because yes. She really, if she was sexy, but like I found her to be extraordinarily sexy in this film, but that's not the way it was supposed to be played. Like, she's supposed to be like badass spy girl and not necessarily like the usual Bond girl, you know what I'm saying? Um, like, like Carrie Hatcher, for example, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Only purpose was to be sexy and have sex with him. Uh, right. before she died, like one of the companions, you know, like, like a Doctor Who oh. companion. Um, but but with, with Michelle Yeoh, her character was supposed to be more than that. And I and, and like if you look at like say Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or or like any of her really famous movies that the that Western people might know at least, like she was never the sex pot. You know what I'm saying? And and in Discovery, they really let her be like just everything you know what i mean she has so right. many layers her character she was allowed to be sexual and i just dug that i was like okay you know i can totally get on board because i was mad when they killed off or they it seemed like they killed off her character in the pilot yeah uh, yeah i was like no yeah. i want her she's the best i exactly. like felt this huge like loss i'm like but but she was so great mm -hmm. and and it was and it was this great like relationship that she had with Michael and like very obvious that there was like a not only just like a mentor relationship, but almost almost motherly. And, yeah. Yeah. You know. And we and we may get more of that because according to what I've read, uh, CBS is going to give her her own series prior to meeting Michael. So we're going to have pre-discovery. Uh, adventures with Michelle Yell's character. Oh, so we get to see her be really bad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's going to be crazy. And I mean, the the other thing, I mean, she's working with Section Thirty One, 
in the mm-hmm. Star Trek universe. Now, for for those people who are listening who are not Star Trek fans, Section 31 is the secret organization within Starfleet that is their, like, sort of evil intelligence organization. They do the really dirty work so that Starfleet, you know, gets to keep their hands clean. They're in yeah they're they're the they're the really spooky spooks um and they do a lot of terrible things uh like genocidal warfare (laughs) um you know they are they are bad bad people but they see that what they do is like well look you know the federation and starfleet has all these high-minded ideals if they try to live by them then they will they will be destroyed in order to protect the Federation. We have to protect Starfleet from itself and its high minded ideals and go out and get our hands dirty every once in a while. Um, It's a really interesting commentary on the ideals of Star Trek. And she just like almost better than anyone else in the universe, I think has been able to embody the, the complexity uh, of what that means. And and yeah, and yeah, I mean I see her as a villain because I see her as like a foil for the people who we are rooting for as the good guys. But yeah, it's a good it's a good question and you were right to bring that up like is she really the villain? Is she really the bad guy? She certainly doesn't think so. But the best villains never think that they are. So um yeah, I think all hail Michelle Yeoh. He knows he's a villain because he was trolling his mustache the entire time. Oh my gosh! Like, Get Jonathan I mean, Price did, did a mustache, like please, I, so he I, can twirl uh, it. He Anything? he ruins this movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I know I'm jumping way ahead, but the. So I'm hating him throughout this whole movie when I initially saw it, and when I resaw it again, I just I really don't like him here. But the part that always gets me that it's like cringe and makes me so angry is when he mocks the Kung Fu. Oh my gosh. That's just so bad. It's it's horrible. And I'm so embarrassed for him because he's a damn good actor. Yeah. Uh, but but he's just, he really hands it up in this movie. I, and he, he brings this movie down. Yeah, that that's a really terrible point where he's like, yeah, making fun of Kung Fu. And then he goes, pathetic. And I'm like, dude, you basically just did, like, the Chinese waiter routine from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Pretty much. Like, don't don't even, like, tell me that, like, oh, she's pathetic because she actually, like, could kick your ass with martial arts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's the, the other scene where he is just beyond over the top is where he's got like his big, big wall of screens and he's talking to all of his people and they're talking about how they're going to manipulate all of the news of the day. It's like, it's like, and then maybe I'll find a, a young maiden and tie her to the train tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's horrible. Oh, it's just so terrible. Like there's even, what? what's the, I, I think it's my least favorite line in the entire movie where he's like, uh, they're like, well, tell the president if he doesn't sign the bill, then we're going to release the videotape of him and the cheerleader and the 
in the hotel room. And like, and okay, boss. <laughs> and then when he, and then release it anyway. And the guy goes, consider him slimed. And I'm like, horrible. What? <laughs> Do you expect us to believe this crap? Like, this is, this is one of like the least believable villains ever. And what I hate is I want to like this villain so much because I think this is the coolest idea for a villain. And I think that think they so? like just, yes. I didn't even like the plot. Absolutely. I think, I still no, I, yeah, no, he's, this is because this is real life because these are actually the villains in real life. Like people who run giant media corporations and then pretend that they sit on this like throne of not being biased. And in the meantime, they're actually manipulating everything behind the scenes. I, I like, understand that. But I mean, this whole thing is like a gigantic conservative wet dream. Mm -hmm. uh, like, well, oh, yeah. You could, like those red hat wearing people are the ones that go into this movie and come out saying, you see, that's what we're talking about. You see, this is it. And even but the if, thing is, he's he's Rupert Murdoch, though. Yeah, so but the red they're not going to see that. They're not going to see that. Because all they see is this is what CNN is all about. You know, this is mm. this is MSNBC. And you know, and at the end, I mean, the good guys win. And what does M do? She manipulates the 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 uh, the media uh, uh, blurb that's going to go out over uh, Price's death, mm -hmm. uh, and and it just fortifies that thinking. I, I, it just doesn't sit well with me. And to me, like, James Bond needs to be involved in higher stakes than this. It just, it, it, it didn't work for me. I don't know. I'm trying to manufacture a war between uh, two giant superpowers is not high enough stakes. I mean, yeah, it, in order to get ratings? I mean. I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't work it, for me. I can see how it's plausible, and I, and I get you. It just, mm -hmm. it, it didn't work for me, and it kind of still doesn't. And maybe it's because Jonathan Price really doesn't carry it well. Maybe with somebody else, it, it would have worked. Um, but, I mean, it just it didn't work for me. And, and I don't know who in that role could have made it any better. Um, maybe um, Joe Don Baker in that role would have worked. Oh I'll tell you what. Uh, but but, uh, but not, not Jonathan Price. Jesse Eisenberg reprising his role right. as Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. But instead of instead of a regular media company, a social media company and he's manipulating things behind the scenes. Okay. Because because again, as I've said before, like the social network is a prequel to a Bond villain movie because Mark Zuckerberg is like two steps away from being a Bond villain. So is Elon Musk. So is Jeff Bezos. You know so what? are half of these guys. I just really like Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe <sighs> I'm a villain and I just don't know it. <laughs> I don't know. Like you said the villains never know that that's who they are. Maybe that's just after all the hate on Facebook this week. Maybe I am the villain, but I like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> You Did should you like go and watch. Go. Every time I see it, I think of Mark Zuckerberg. Or, or every time I see Mark Zuckerberg, I think of that movie. Maybe AI movie. Yeah. You know, I never watched it. Uh, 
I should go watch that and follow up on it. Maybe you'll get it out of your system. I, and, <laughs> uh, I would also check out. Oh, what? Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was when you said uh, Jesse Eisenberg reprising his role, I thought you were going to say Lex Luthor. I really nope. did. Like, nope. <laughs> I was I was teasing because I I, th I figured I figured you and Mark might think that and be like, nope. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe. Nope. Uh, one of our worst Lex Luthers. Yeah, totally. But well, I haven't seen Ducky as Lex Luthor, so I don't know. Oh, he's so good. He's is he good? Really, he be really. like one of the last people I'd ever pick, but everybody keeps telling me he's good. So really, I stopped oh, watching Supergirl. Um, yeah. Maybe I should I should go back to it. You it, know, I'm about to go back to it myself. It like watch the um, he's in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover that happened earlier this year. Just watch that. It it stands pretty well alone by itself. And you'll get a good feel for like what he's all about. And he really, he plays up both sides where he's like the smarmy good guy, public facing, and also like evil manipulative asshole behind the scenes. So um, I can I definitely see does. John Cryer pulling that off though. Like, he does. He, he does a good job. Good. He does a good job with it. Yeah. I mean, Ducky, who'd, who'd have funk it? Ducky. Ducky. But yeah. there we go. Um, He's no Gene Hackman, but you know, nobody's no, Gene Hackman. That's a whole other different. That's a different conversation because, I mean, Gene Hackman really hammed up that role as well. He really did, but that's a hammy movie, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 it and works. I remember the era too that that came out in compared to now. Right, like, right, right, right. That exactly. wouldn't work today, and today's Lex Luthor probably wouldn't have worked thirty years back ago. then. Yeah, it's been forty years, right? Shit. God, I feel yeah. old when I think about that. Oh, the other. I great... have to tell you, boys. I know this is a little off topic, but I went back and rewatched that trailer for Batman a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Still not sold on him as Batman, but I like the feel of the movie and I like the feel of the trailer, and I'm excited to watch the movie. But I'm not excited for him as Batman. That's okay. I know. I know. Okay. I know. But like, I went when I went back and rewatched it, not on my little tiny like screen while we were recording a podcast, but like actually watched it. He looks like a kid who's like mad that his toys got taken away. He's like, man, now I'm angry. Brooke, I'm going to be the grown-up here and say no backsies because you were pretty excited last week. I was. You're right. So I totally no backsies, was. No backsies, man. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell so, you how well that worked out for my ex-husbands. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> that sounds like a threat. I, I was excited about them in the beginning also. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Okay. Uh, my my other two recommendations going going backwards through this conversation, another great Lex Luthor, Giancarlo Esposito as Lex Luthor on the current Harley Quinn cartoon that's available on the DC app and um, HBO Max. Giancarlo Esposito, I mean he's great in everything, and why he's is, so. Why is Harley still popular? Like why? I don't. I don't. I don't get the watch that show. It is hilarious. It is hilarious. That show is great. There's a lot of. I didn't watch it because it had the girl from the Big Bang Theory playing her, and I was like, eh, right. No. Yep. But I've heard it's good. 
and now and now back to the podcast. Um, Thank you for that word from our sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so but back to back to Bond and Jonathan Price and the media. Uh, so I said I said Giancarlo Esposito, go watch that show. And then the other thing, Brooke, like if you really want to, like maybe change your mind about Zuckerberg, is watch the Social Dilemma on Netflix. I'm and about to. That's what we're it, watching tonight. It will probably make you want to delete your Facebook account. Or so. you can also watch the results <laughs> right, of the 2016 like... election and how Facebook facilitated <laughs> the ruin of our nation. That should probably be enough for you. There's, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes with how that Facebook be funny like... to me, but it's so funny. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm so tired. I was, telling, oh, yeah. I was telling Andy earlier that I think I'm starting to crack from quarantine. I do too. Here's yeah. the thing. I don't doubt that there's a whole ton of shit going on at Facebook. I just don't really blame him. Oh. See behind it all. I think I think if you're he's if not solely responsible. I mean He's not solely responsible, but at the same time, if you're gonna be the head of a company and you brought this thing into existence, then. So how do you feel yeah. about Ellen DeGeneres right now? Jeez, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't. Okay, so like, right? He brought it into existence, and I think it became. I don't know. I don't know how to say this. Not that it became bigger than him, but. Oh I no! That's exactly the point. It did. Like, it became bigger than him because right. he doesn't understand I, the implications of the AI that he's running. And he doesn't and understand he's other people to do things and he's moving forward in a space of like Well, where, no, no, wait. Where do I get the money and how do we build stock? And like so he's like, I think a good analogy would be Oppenheimer, uh, where he he ushered in the world of uh nuclear weapons, right? But when he when he when he finally realized, you know, like when he, it came to sudden realization that I am become death, he's like, "That's it. I'm done. I am done with this. I want no more part of this." Uh, Zuckerberg isn't there yet. I don't know if he ever will be there. If if anything, he's doubling down. And until fairly recently, where he's now donating to make sure that we have fair elections, he was fighting it. Like he wasn't going to take down false posts. He wasn't going to shut down groups that were infiltrating our, our electoral system. He wasn't going to do anything. Right. But I right. don't really blame him for that. Uh, but Brooke, here's the saying. thing. Here's the power to stop that. Here's the thing, Brooke. If, I mean, I feel like I understand everything that is wrong with Facebook's platform and ways to fix it. And like, I'm just a dude. Like, if Mark Zuckerberg doesn't, okay, thank you. But if I can, if like Mark Zuckerberg should at least be as intelligent as me and understand the implications of what he's doing and take responsibility for the harm that he's creating out out there in the world. Like but what do you do when it comes to responsibility versus freedoms and governing and like you take the side of responsibility. Sometimes you have to say fuck free speech. 
because if if people are okay very good no, example. i agree i agree i just think like i think it's a slippery slope and for someone who like i i really truly believe that dude is on the spectrum like pretty hardcore mm -hmm. i don't think that's like really a surprise to anyone but for someone who is on the spectrum who's gonna compartmentalize who's gonna put things into very specific boxes and who's gonna hold certain things as extremely important from the very beginning of building the platform i think that this would be a really hard call for him i don't think he's just evil i i, I don't know that he's evil but he is not taking responsibility for what he's doing that. i can see that and i think he has to and and really i mean that's the point of government regulation i mean when I, when Rockefeller think, like, started drilling for oil, he didn't think about, you know, the pollution that it was going to cause. Right. But so we had to Same with fracking you know, and natural energy, like Yeah, we had to gas. start regulating the pollution that was created through it. And social media and just like just like energy is an intrinsic good that helped move our country forward and help move the world forward through the industrial revolution, but we have to clean up the pollution. And right. I just like, especially after listening to him talk and seeing him go very candid and not off of the teleprompter and things. I really believe he thinks he is taking responsibility mm. and straddling the line the, the best that he can, which is going to move society forward. I just, Right. Well, I will watch I mean, he the doesn't movie. have anybody around him who's keeping it real and telling him right. how things are actually messed up. Right. So, you know, they don't. They he should hire you. Mm, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if he really wanted to, but I don't think he'd like. Uh, I'd take the job if he offered it, but only if I'd actually be able to do something. But, but that isn't. I don't. I, I'm not the only one saying this, though. There are tons smarter people who are saying this who actually understand ai better than i do and would understand ways to actually like fix it i can just say like look this i mean really what they actually need is a better human touch because yeah these artificial intelligence networks are not able to do what they think that they're going to do it only it it maximizes, you know, people getting outraged and people getting upset. And, you know, and those are, you know, they're, they're not taking any responsibility for that. And there's no way for an AI to be able to look at something and be like, that meme is misleading or that statement is misleading and neither yeah. should we really expect it to. But I mean, but I think that there's ways to... Um, there's ways to make things better and there, but they, I guess I just feel like there is a desire to understand it from a new perspective, which I don't believe was there before. And that there is an attempt to make things better happening behind the scenes now that wasn't happening previously. Well, that correlates and with the things... losing advertising money when people pulled out of Facebook. Right. Right. So that's he how you learn care before that happened. Right. But that's how he learns. Yeah. So if someone like you were to come in and be like, hey, 
here's a new way to learn from it, I think he would. But the difference is, is in order to make the changes that they really need to, it would probably mean less revenue for them. It would mean less money because you would have to dial down the outrage and the hate. And unfortunately, those things sell. They do. I just think with a greater understanding, there's more of a willingness to lose advertising money now than there was before. And I don't know. I just like, you know what? I'm just playing devil's advocate at this point. So like, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I I will believe it when I see it. Anyway, Mark Zuckerberg, Bond villain. Well, he's not Elliot Carver, that's for sure. Well, I'll give you that much. He's not... He's not specifically saying to slime people yet that we know of. Yet. <laughs> although, although um, he he definitely was not a fan of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders um, and went and met with Trump and talked about ways that they were going to make sure that Facebook was fair to him and to conservatives during the election. And... Um, were kind of not fair to more liberal people who were specifically calling for greater regulation and taxation of Facebook. So I'm just leaving that there. So Well, that is understandable. Yeah. Anywho. That it would be upsetting. Not that he did. Yeah. Anyway. uh, So Bob Elliot Carver. (laughs) um, So Elliot Carver sucked. (laughs) yeah so we all agree i i wit this okay so i have i have two main takes on this movie one it's a it's the return of all of the bond tropes every single Mm -hmm. bad bond trope comes Mm -hmm. back in this movie number two i and and this is my like sort of final judgment on it is I actually really like this movie because of what I think it was trying to be. And therefore it is, it is in many ways like the living daylights. For me. Yeah, well, I, that's my problem with it. <laughs> I, yeah, I like it. I like it. In fact, probably more than it deserves because of what I think it was trying to do. And like, if they had actually made the movie that I think that they should have made, it would have been a hundred times better. But they but, made this movie. But they made this movie. Very good. And you know, and there are the problems thing, with it. When you have a movie as good as GoldenEye, to have Elliot Carver as the villain that succeeds Sean Bean is such a huge letdown. And and to me, like the plot is just isn't as good. And the other thing about this movie is that it is chock full of fantastic actors and there's mm-hmm. really not much done with them uh, at all and it's it's a huge 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 letdown uh and, th- and there's a who's who list of people of english actors in this movie you know yeah um, so, i mean julian fellows is on this we we actually have two downton abbey connections uh with yep. uh julian Three. fellows and who's the third Three, Hugh Bonneville and um, Julian Fellows, Hugh Bonneville and um, uh, shoot. Who's the, who's the, Mr. Bates. Mr. Um, Bates is here? Yeah. He just, just in another tiny cameo role. Same with Hugh Bonneville. They're both on the ship together. Oh, I didn't, I didn't recognize him. I recognize Hugh Bonneville, but not, 
Not uh, yeah, I, what's his name, Mr. Bates. I can't. Yeah, what's his, what's his I'll, real name? I'll look it up. I can't remember it either. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, there's also. Butler too, right? Did you oh yeah, and Gerard Butler's in that scene. Too. Gerard Butler's in there. Yeah, yeah, he's in there, yeah. and so is um, uh, what's his name from Indiana Jones and uh, and Braveheart. What's his name? Blue-eyed dude. Mm, I'm not. I'm not sure who you're talking about. Oh, Michael Byrne. Oh, okay. Uh, he's on there too. Uh, for folks who are big into BBC shows or uh, UK shows, uh, Judy Dench was in a uh, a very long-lasting show with Jeffrey Palmer called "As Time Goes By." Uh, and to see that those two working uh, against each other in this movie is kind of cool. Yeah. He, he actually has a, a line that's uh, like it cuts right to her as a character when he tells her, uh, with respect, and sometimes I don't think you have the balls for this job. And, and if y'all have, if anybody has seen the show, uh, as time goes by, you know, that it, it's just totally against character for those two. So I thought that was kind of cool. But this movie, like, it's just loaded with all sorts of great actors. I mean, Ricky Jay's on here. Ricky Jay's one of the great character actors. But there isn't just, there isn't anything. That, Ricky Jay doesn't say a single line until the last third of the movie. And it's only like uh, 20 seconds worth. Uh, it, it, I just have, I mean, this, this movie could have been a lot more. Uh, and and having come down, uh, I mean, having seen uh, GoldenEye and experiencing that, this was just a huge letdown in comparison. Yeah, uh, Brendan, Brendan Coyle. Coyle. Brendan Coyle <gasps> Brendan is the Coyle, name of Mister Mister Bates. So yeah, no, I agree. Uh, there's a lot of wasted talent in this movie, and uh, they should have done way ton more with it. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like they were kind of busy, like punching off all the Bond tropes. Like, oh. Bond's magic penis is back. Yeah, it's back. He he magically turns Terry Hatcher from not wanting, you know, slapping him when she sees him, and then fifteen minutes later, she's you know having sex with him. So dies. and then she dies, yeah. and then she dies. Yes. Um, so you know, uh, the car. There's a car chase. Um, the second Bond girl is the girlfriend reward at the end. It, it's just. You know, it's it's kind of by the book, which is funny because this is supposed to be a like late 20th century techno thriller. And it's, you know, this this really could have been a plot from the 1960s. This could have been a 1960s Bond movie. And speaking of techno thriller, I really hate the score to this movie. Yeah. I really don't like it. Although I do like Cheryl Crow's uh, song in the opening. Yeah. <laughs> I like so it. let let's talk about that song because I kind of uh, like it too. I mean, I Cheryl Crow. Like so that's always going to win me over. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was fine. Melissa doesn't. I is all right. It's not the worst Bond song by far. Um, yeah. The thing I didn't like it i i just felt like it was sort of mismatched um like because 
there were parts where her voice kind of soars a bit, you know, in the, the like in the later parts, how songs do. But the mm -hmm. music didn't, you know, soar with her. It didn't meet her voice. It stayed kind of sweet. And it didn't sound like it matched. Like, like they wrote the music and she wrote the lyrics and then they didn't try to combine them or make them work together. They just sort of put the tracks on top of each other and let it be. And I don't know. It it just um, it didn't feel cohesive somehow to me, uh, especially the second half of the song. So it's not bad, you know. It's a visible bond song, you know. But it's just not very good either in my mind. And I love Cheryl Crow. I really would would have liked to have loved this song, but it, you know. Yeah. I think One of the, the reason I like it is that, uh, I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first song that's like singing directly to James Bond. Uh, am I wrong about that? Nobody does it better. Kind of is a ballad oh, towards Bond. Yeah, that's true. That's that's true. But but, but like absolutely directly, to, this is a song to James Bond, like to James Bond from the dead corpse of Terry Hatcher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The first line is, darling, I'm killed in a puddle on a floor on the floor. You know, she's she's dead and she's thinking about James Bond and how he killed her with his magic penis. Yeah, which is I don't I think that's like a really like kind of interesting take just because it's like, oh, like, hmm. I still don't know what tomorrow never dies means though. And it right. is like, a, it, it is not, it doesn't like fit with the rest of the lyrics of the song. Right, right, it's right. like, yeah. So that is a fair criticism. Yeah. But I mean, but tomorrow never dies is kind of a, like what, what does that have to do with this movie? Anyway, the name of the newspaper is tomorrow. Right. Right. And it clearly like, does die again. <laughs> it it could have there there could have been a better movie title. I know, I know our friend John Madsen who joined us for the um for the watch parties would have liked this movie to be called Nightboat. <laughs> he, he really liked Jonathan Carver's Nightboat. Shout out to the Nightboat, but that. That stealth boat was kind of cool, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, but tomorrow never dies. Like what, what is that? I don't know. So, but theme song good. Um, I, and, and I put the theme song along with the movie in like solid, like top of the second tier of Bond movies. Mm. It's not my most favorite. It's good. It's really good. I, well, maybe not it's really good. Not in it's my good. bottom tier. Yeah, I like it. I en I enjoy watching it. I don't hate it. Um, I definitely like whenever Michelle Yeoh's on screen. Yeah, well, that that's true. Yeah, because she's so much better than everyone else. Um, I could do with a little bit less of Jonathan Carver. I could a do with less. a. I could do with Terry Hatcher maybe having some better acting skills. Yeah. 
Well, you know what bothered me about her? She's not the best actress, but she wasn't terrible in this because she only had like four scenes or something. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yep. And and like she was featured on the posters as prominently as Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. But right. She, yeah. By the first third, by the end of the first act, basically the first third of the movie, she was dead. Yeah, and I think that was rather misleading. You know what I'm saying? Um, yep. I, 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 she's not my favorite actress. I don't really care for her. But, but, she was given almost nothing to do but look pretty, and it, you know, it, that's just annoying. You know, I, I understand like Michelle Yeoh kind of played that part of the badass woman who was more competent than even Bond. But if you're gonna have two women, that doesn't mean one gets to be like you know pretty and that's it you know what i'm saying like like totally yes they can both be smart or competent (laughs) you know what i mean yeah you should be able to write character development for more than one female yes yeah well she's she's just a prop she's a prop and and she was intended to be a prop and we had this this discussion a couple weeks was it a couple weeks ago a couple episodes ago about uh is the spy work require um, you know, sexy time that, you know, it, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this movie makes it clear that yes, because yeah. there is that discussion yeah. where they talk about James's uh, relationship with Paris and James is like, when, when did that become public? And money penny looks at him and says queen and country James. And then M says, uh, Oh, when he says, I don't know if she'll remember me. M tells him, remind her, then pump her for information. Yeah. So like, it's implicit the spy work that that, that uh, the double O's are, are required to do includes seducing and having sex for queen and country. Right. So that's what Terry Hatcher represents. And that's why she's not given any lines because she's just a prop to represent that part of the spy work. Yep. Well, yeah, and I then she gets fridged. That doesn't mean I have to like it though, you know? Um, right, right. And, and this is one of the bad things about James Bond that, you know, the, the GoldenEye kind of di- didn't even have this, and we had been shaking this off, but now it's back, uh, you know, front and center. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because GoldenEye, I mean, you had you had Natalia, who survives the whole movie, and you had Xenia, who, rather than being, you know, first girl, second girl, is just, like, villain girl, mm-hmm. which is, you know, different. and And a commentary on Bond himself. And so... Yeah, th- but again, that's why this is return of the tropes. You know, th- this is this is plenty O'Toole and um, oh, whoever Pussy the Galore. other girl was. Well, not not Pussy Galore, but well, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Or yeah, or Jill Masterson and Pussy Galore. Although although ostens- Pussy Galore wasn't like not hot, so you know, but um. You know, oh, having the the sexier Bond girl first that dies, and then, and then the more serious one, um, you know, at the end. So, you know, that that happened in way too many movies, and the fact that it's just, you know, oh, we're we're always gonna fridge a girl at the end of the first act is just like, you know, tired. Like, is that do we really need to do that? So, yeah. Um, speaking of her death, can we talk for a second about her killer, Dr. Kaufman, (laughs) who did have a mustache to twirl, played by veteran character actor Vincent Schiavelli, who was in 
everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but is this scene silly or is this good? Silly I don't know. I go back awful. and forth. It's silly and awful. Like he should be, he should feel bad for this. this yeah. I couldn't tell if they were playing it for comedy or not. I thought it was funny, but in a terrible way, you know. Um, yeah, that's a good know, question. I know, I know Bond has humor thrown in. I feel like 90% of the humor is at Q's expense, you know, most of the time mm -hmm. in most Bond movies. Um, and then the other 10% is stupid aside jokes about how many women he has sex with or some shit, you know. Um, and I just... But but you don't have whole scenes of comedy usually, you know what I mean? Um, and this felt like it was supposed to be that, but it also felt like it was taking itself very seriously. And you know, if like like I remember in the theater, you know, trying to not to laugh basically, like because nobody else was laughing, and I was like, am I the only one who finds this funny? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and the thing is, that's not the first time that ever happened to me. It wasn't the last time that's ever happened where I'm the only one laughing at something. So, I can't tell. You mm -hmm. know, like, is it just me or what? I, no, I don't know. but that's that is the question for this scene. Is this is this a bit that you're doing? Is this supposed to be a joke? Is this funny? Um, <laughs> you know, I. So the director Roger Spottiswood. Is a very interesting dude. Um, he wrote 48 Hours uh, and another 48 Hours, but is responsible for directing other such luminary films before this as Turner and Hooch and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting choice for James Bond because he's... It's like, yeah, is this supposed to be funny? Is it is it not? Is this serious? Like, and so I I have the exact same question, Melissa. Like, is this is this scene supposed to be funny or is it not? Like, I don't John, know. John said when we were watching we were chatting and watching it together that he thought it was straight comedy. Like there was no doubt in his mind it was supposed to be funny. So yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I often I don't, wonder about that with my boyfriend. I never know. I never know. Are you being funny right now, or is this serious? <laughs> I don't think it was. This scene was very confusing. Funny. You know, because uh, Stamper keeps uh, talking about him like he's this father figure of his who taught him how to torture. And I don't think you'd do that with a funny man. Like, mm. I don't know. I, I, I think <laughs> there was it was supposed to be serious, but with this weird flair to him. But it just—it's not it funny work. about corporal punishment, Mark. <laughs> There's nothing funny about that. Uh, but I—I I don't know. I just don't think it was meant to be played as funny. It just came out weird. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the like misplaced humor, there's some of the stuff like I okay. I will defend the motorcycle scene because I think that 80% of it is actually pretty cool and the idea is cool I think it goes on too long and I think there are places in it where 
there like, wait, why are you doing this bit? What What is, why are you trying to make this funny? Like, can't we just have like a cool action scene out of this where both of our heroes are being badasses? So, but I, I overall like the scene. I think the comedy is like weirdly misplaced, especially some of the one-liners. The one-liners are bad. My issue is that it's just so highly unpro- improbable. Like, if you bring in a helicopter to an alleyway, you're, I mean, you're just asking for suicide at that point. Like, yeah. There's just, there's just, it, it doesn't work. Who, who know, are these helicopter pilots? I know, man. <laughs> you know, like you, you always say, and you know, by the premise, by, uh, by the by the premise, by the bit, like uh-huh. you can't hear. It's just no. Like why? Why? Who who is telling these people to do this? Like, and how are how you as a pilot do not understand that we're all gonna die if I go down like this? It just it doesn't make any. It takes me out completely. What should be a badass scene, maybe if it was done out in the open, would have been better. But like that and the one-liners, like it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, the one one of the things that really bugged me is when they they go in in the alleyway and it's all full of people, and they turn the helicopter forward so that the yeah. rotor blades could like potentially like chop people up. I'm like, wait a minute, like I understand physics. And there's a lot more people in this alleyway and things in this alleyway than um, Pierce Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh. So you're going to like potentially kill dozens of other people to get at these people and like potentially like crash your helicopter because it's going to get jammed up by, you know, all these dead people and random stuff you're you're running Never. into I'll get in the rotor blade on the rotors you'll, you'll go yeah. down you will die yeah it's like that i don't think that's how helicopter blades work <laughs> now i don't know <laughs> maybe i'm wrong like let's get the mythbusters on this like can we kill people with the helicopter blades <laughs> but <laughs> yeah i i agree and and that's what i'm saying but like overall the idea of the two of them handcuff and having to um, use the motorcycle together, I kind of like that. That is cool. And, and, yeah. and, uh, and that being hit by helicopter rotor at the Brooksville airport. Wait, what? Could a helicopter blade cut a person in half? I'm just doing some... Oh, yeah, no, it definitely Oh, can. okay, okay, yeah. It definitely can. Like you have to exit helicopters with your head bowed down because uh, the blades right. can can uh, uh, move down. Like you're instructed to do that, so that that it can happen. It really can't. And actually, there, there's a there's an actor who died in a helicopter accident in Twilight Zone the movie. So oh yeah. This very much can. It was Vic Morrow. This very much can and will happen. But to use a helicopter to kill two people on the run on a motorcycle <laughs> in an alleyway is simply you have to be the stupidest villain ever to think that this might be a good idea and that you're not gonna die it's just so stupid i think in general um carver's henchmen are probably the stupidest henchmen that we've met in like (laughs) the entire bond yeah like they're they're just terrible they're all cut rate none of them are any good i i just i don't get it 
they're all awful at their jobs. They're all stormtroopers. Not a single one of them can shoot on any kind of target. <laughs> that is yeah. the chat too. Yeah, they, they all of a sudden turn into stormtroopers. I think he spent all his money on the boat. Is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he, couldn't hire, he couldn't hire the top rate henchmen. You know, ninety five percent of budget on boats and satellites. Five percent security staff. <laughs> James night boat. <laughs> James James Bond infiltrates their building by walking across a glass ceiling where everybody can see him. <laughs> And just one person had to like glance up every once in a while, you know, or maybe have a camera on the roof, but no, he's come. It's completely fine. Yeah. Oh, and let's leave a $300,000 satellite. Just like do to do hang it out in the hallway where someone might trip over it and knock it over. You break it. You bought it. Okay. Thanks dude. Um, maybe you should like, lock that up or like put some bubble wrap around it you know like that's uh not not a good idea so i have a yeah. theory about this is we're talking about all these action scenes right okay I, I i remember saying last time i was on the podcast i think what was the last movie the, act, the actual bomb movie um, oh golden Eye. Yeah. Okay. yeah so i was saying how i had seen him uh, Pierce Brosnan and Remington Steele and stuff and I always thought he was very elegant and I never saw him as an action hero and in that first movie um, I felt like there were certain action scenes where I didn't buy that he would do that you know because um, he seemed rather elegant still and, and a little stiff and I, and I thought well it's probably because he's just getting into this it had been five years since there was a Bond film and everybody was so excited about him. So he was probably a little nervous. And I think that came across a little in the performance, you know, in the action scenes, at least. He's very good at like the, you know, ordering martinis part and seducing women part, but maybe not so much the action, right? But mm -hmm. there was a lot of action scenes in that movie, like more than I'm used to from Bond. And then here, when you had especially this scene that we were just talking about with like the helicopter and the motorcycle chase, um, what it felt like to me, okay, because like, you know, in the opening sequence before the titles, there's always the big stunt of the movie, right? The unbelievable, right. impossible one. This felt like that only in the middle of the movie rather than at the beginning, which already had its own big stunt, right? And, and it felt out of place to me because of that, because the stunts in the actual film uh, post-title sequence always felt i mean yeah they're impossible or whatever but they always felt a little more realistic at least you know mm -hmm. um this one did not and so going back to what i said about him being kind of elegant and maybe not looking like action hero to me i wonder if because this was pretty stunt heavy too compared to what i think we're used to and i think part of that is because right before him you know well not right before him but but like we had gone through the 80s bond uh most of it with roger moore who was aging and couldn't do a lot of stunts probably you know mm -hmm. um, and who wouldn't be believable that way uh but but now with him i feel like they're they're trying too hard these first two movies with all the stunts and i and i'm like is it because they're trying to get us to buy him as an action hero and you know what i'm saying like like I, I wonder why it feels amped up. And a part of it is 90s. I get it. You know, the 90s was a weird decade, let's be honest. Um, but it, 
I just feel like they were trying too hard with the stunts to make us buy him as as James Bond hero and not just James Bond magic penis seducer. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Is I wrong here? Am I overthinking this? Because I overthink things, y'all. No, I gotta say, no. <laughs> I love the opening sequence and that gave me hope and then that hope was kind of murdered. But I also love, love, love the sky the skydive sequence as well. I think both of those scenes were just so, so good and needed in this movie. I kind of understand where you're coming from, but I do see the necessity to have James Bond uh, act more as an action hero. Uh, right. Because we got bored with Roger because he was a thousand years old. <laughs> and uh, actually, it's the whole movement to have him be a bit more of an action uh, hero started with uh, Dalton. Right. And we still right. have that now with uh, with Craig, and Craig is brilliant at it. So it's it's yeah. necessary, and I don't see it as out of place. I just wish we had more of that. Maybe what this movie needed was him in a suit driving a tank in the middle of the city. <laughs> that might have worked. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, I really enjoy the action sequences here. No, I understand like the need to evolve him more, especially as we get because CGI was really in its infancy during this period. Like the you know being able to really produce dynamic special effects, um, and and you you would see that a little more as time goes on. Although I think a lot of them are practical too. But but so I understand them needing to um, get with the times or whatever and make him more of that. I'm just not sure I buy Brosnan in that. I'm not saying he's yeah. a bad bot. I'm just not sure me myself uh, that I buy it. And I feel like they, you know, maybe went too fast too soon with this particular bot. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, this, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring The Rock into this conversation is to show, like, the way that the. I, I really believe that Bond took a lot of cues from that as like, oh, this is what action movies now need to be. There needs to be all this Michael Bay, you know, explosions crap going on all the time at the expense of, you know, character development. And it's kind of campy and kind of silly, which is often where Bond has been. But usually it's been like, oh, well, Bond's going to like, you know, ski down a mountain and people are going to chase him with machine guns. And that's, and that's the action scene. It's like, nope, now there's got to be explosions everywhere. There's got to be insane aerial stunts and, and so on. Um, and... Were there explosions in this movie? I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but this is what they are competing with in their, like, peer group of, like, this is what movies yeah. were. And in terms of, like, uh, Pierce Brosnan as a as an action star, you know, you mentioned, Melissa, we're in the 90s and the 90s were weird. Uh, ostensibly, the number one action star of the late 90s was Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I mean, like, so, so I mean, I know. So it's weird. weird. They were calling for help and <laughs> no one was listening. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and you know yeah. What's really bad is when you said I, I that you wanted to bring the rock into this. I was like, why are we talking about Dwayne Johnson? Like, <laughs> oh no, no, no. <laughs> no, I meant that. You... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I wanted to talk about the rock in yeah, in the context of the James Bond movies because oh. it 
because it is. I'm a all ready Bond to movie. talk about Dwayne Johnson because we should talk know, about Dwayne. Johnson. He's out there ripping gates off his front yard and like being just man. I can talk about him all day. Well, when we when we do when we do Jumanji, we'll uh, we'll talk about Dwayne Johnson. Did you read his post about ripping the gate off of his house? No, I did not. Oh my gosh. So he's like, our electricity went out and my hydraulic gate wouldn't open. And normally we can do a reset and it'll start working, but it didn't. And I called someone and they're like, it's going to be 45 minutes until we can get there. And he's like, I don't have 45 minutes. I've got crews of people waiting for me. So, you know, I did what any person would do. And I ripped the steel gate off of its hinges and ruined the hydraulics and threw it on the yard in the side of my house. And then I drove to work. Right. I know. He ripped like steel bars off and just threw them aside and he's like, it wasn't my finest hour. <laughs> or was it? I, mean, I would argue it. that it was. <laughs> but now today apparently uh Chris Evans is totally roasting him for it and giving you a bunch of crap on him talk about how he decided to not wait forty five minutes. Like Chip and I were talking about it. We're like, you could have called an Uber. <laughs> That might have been a better option than destroying the gate with your bare hands. But I'm I mean, glad no, didn't. no shame on Chris Evans, and I love him dearly, but he should not be roasting anyone for their personal behavior, like right at this very moment. <laughs> yeah, like right now. Yeah. Well, I love I him know. dearly, and I don't think he did anything wrong. I think he's great, and I love him. How good of a Boy Scout are him. you now? Hmm? Yeah. But not, not, only is, not only is he, does he have America's ass, he also has America's schlong, apparently. He has America's you know what I've yeah. never seen? Iron Man's Iron Man. <laughs> you might not. So, put that in your pipe and smoke it, you Captain America fans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this this went to a, a fun place. I like this. Yeah, so which of the Avengers do you want to see naked the most? No, I just okay. Um well, so back that to that is an easy question. Okay. Let's set aside a couple of hours for this. Yeah, so back to um, Tomorrow Widow. Never Dies oh. and and <laughs> The ridiculousness of these. Well, I mean, maybe maybe we should compare it to the MCU for a second, because those are movies that have a lot of humor in their action scenes. Like they right. punctuate jokes in there a lot, and it's something that uh, non MCU fans give them a lot of shit about, like a lot, a lot of shit. Because um, uh, you know, with the exception of that's three. The- it's, it's subtle though they, they they it's very subtle like it's not in your face or they're not trying really desperately hard to land a one-liner like i said iron man 3 notwithstanding just don't even go there <laughs> the, I, I mean they they do it so well because it's it's subtle like it you don't see it coming or they deliver it in such a way where it's just it's part of the natural flow uh, the problem with Bond is like they do the checkmark thing, the checklist thing. Like, oh, we haven't landed a one-liner yet. We got to check that box. So here it goes. And then you have that don't ask, don't tell lines, which were stupid. Mm. Uh, they're just it, that's yeah. the problem with this movie. They they don't know how to handle humor well. The MCU really does though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 
a little Wait, bit of different. Uh oh, what uh oh? I, unless he uh, cut off a. Oh, can you guys hear me? Yes, I. Okay, I can I hear Mark. I, yeah, I didn't hear the last okay. part of what he said. Not that it's that important. It's just that you know, because I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not important. <laughs> yeah. And he always cuts like thirty minutes of whatever I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's not personal. It's just you. No, no, I'm I'm the quota. <laughs> What? You're the quota of what? Yeah, of the checklist. The, I need Latino representation. And here we go. I'm just messing with you, man. I know you're not like that. And, yes. Then, then, and I've got then a that's vagina. Mola, yeah. So that's what that's what everyone is. I'm just I'm just checking I'm boxes a, here. Quota over here. Yeah. You are. You're, that's we're going to call you're, you two for Melissa you're the champion. Yeah. <laughs> For the longest time, uh, Andy was like Latin vagina, Latin where, where, where. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need on this podcast. <laughs> Mark's not checking Chris, those boxes. Chris Evans, it's penis and a Latin vagina. All right, we're good. Let's go. Yes. Um. Okay. So <laughs> back to Bond again. <laughs> um. What is is there any is there anything else that we've missed in this movie that that folks want to talk about? Well, no. I would just like to say that I think it's really interesting that you like this movie for what it tried to be and what it could have been, and yet still don't like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> one fiction, one is based in reality. Just saying. People aren't movies, Brooke. <laughs> I can't. I mean, well, I mean, you know what? If, Bullshit, I will, they I will are. like. I will like Mark Zuckerberg if he if he can if he can if he can prove me he's wrong. If he can like pull this ship around, I will root for him all day, every day. I will say I just, this: people aren't movies, but very soon we'll have a Supreme Court that's going to rule that they are. And it's all because Zuckerberg helped Trump get to power. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's, it's, it's part of it. I mean, I mean, but we have Facebook groups right now, like planning civil war. So, I mean, come on, let's. When we have a rollback of of women's rights, we're going to revisit this conversation. What do you Thanks, mean? Mark Zuckerberg. It's already started. Like, it's already yeah. started. Yeah, it's gonna get when worse, y'all. It's finished. <laughs> when it's finished. When, when it's we're, we're when the U.S. changes its name to New Zion. Yeah. All right, I concede. I concede. <laughs> okay. I don't believe you. Okay. Uh, what what else? Um... Like I was gonna say, I feel like it's going a little far to blame all that on Mark Zuckerberg because of Facebook. But then, like, like I couldn't even say the sentence and believe it myself. So he, I it's, it's not. It's not his. It's not just his fault. It's it's that he's not being careful with the thing that he created, and other people are using it for completely foreseeable. Uh, you know what I'm comparing that, it to in my mind yeah. right now? I'm comparing what? it to Iron Man. Ah. And and I have to say that Iron Man was completely repentant and came back and found solutions and tried to solve and resolve and work together as a team. And Mark Zuckerberg has not done that. So 
yeah. I haven't seen. The, if uh, in yeah, um, Mark Zuckerberg is will never uh, be Iron Man. He's well, he's he's Tony Stark in like the first five minutes of Iron Man before you know he has his awakening, and if he I don't know if he builds himself an AI suit and starts taking out you know right wing <laughs> militias that he helped create, then cool. I would love I'll, to see uh, that. Then maybe we forgive him. Absolutely, I will. I will cheer for him. But maybe Although, the I'll... death of the greatest Jewish woman ever will be enough to shake Mark Zuckerberg to his bones and uh, do something better. Maybe. Maybe. He's very strong in his faith. I didn't expect that. That's good. Then, then I hope that I hope that he he maybe thinks on that. Something. So, that's wonderful. Um, because I I've been thinking a lot about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's faith as well, and her faith in humanity, and yeah. um, you know the way she approached things and people, and that's um, pretty amazing. So I'll take that. Anyway, tomorrow Anything never dies. Else in this movie? Yeah. Any any other? Well, any one, other? One of the things that uh, kind of annoyed me is that we get Joe Don Baker for like 10 seconds mm-hmm. uh, and then nothing much more after that. Uh, the reason I love the new iteration of James Bond uh, is because Jeffrey Wright is so integral to James Bond and the plot and he's featured uh, throughout. The, and we don't get that with Joe Don Baker. He's just there once again. It's, you know, it's checking the box, make sure that we got this dude for 10 seconds. But there is a line that he says that I was like, oh, yeah, this, this very much defines who we are as a nation. When he says, we have no interest in World War III unless we start it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's us. America. That's, yeah. that's what we do. Uh, so, yeah, that's one of the things that kind of annoyed me. You know, I just I wish he had a bigger role and he was more useful than just dropping him out of the sky. So, John. Annoyance, but you're right. I, yeah. I have bigger annoyances with this movie, but yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Uh, so John had one other contention, and Mark, I'm very interested in your reaction to this. After watching this movie, he thinks that Jack Wade is the superior side character American spy to Felix Leiter. I'm going to punch him. <laughs> Use your words, Mark, not your fists. I'm gonna. Uh, mm, John, mm. Okay, so John's John's major point is that Joe Don Baker and Jack Wade got to have a real character. Felix Leiter was this like cipher, and mm-hmm. kept being recast through, you know, fifteen different movies. And never really felt like a character up until Jeffrey Wright took over. I think that's a. I think that is a fair summation. I get on board with that. Okay. So I don't. I, I don't I, know I, that I like Jack Wade better because I still like Felix Leiter a lot. Yeah, but. I was reacting to the character in general, like including Jeffrey Wright, because mm-hmm. if we include Jeffrey Wright, John's crazy. He's just he's mm-hmm. he's, he's an insane person. But if what he meant is up to this point. Um, and, and we compare Wade to Lighter, then he, okay, yeah, I can see that. He is more fleshed out, which 
goes to the point why I was so frustrated that we only get like 10 seconds of him uh, because Agreed. He, he's he's more fleshed out as a character. He deserves more time. So if we're comparing up until this point, then yeah, you're right. He's right. I mean, he's, he's got a point. You know, and, he, uh, and Lighter kept getting recast and all these crazy ages. But if we're including Jeffrey Wright, he's just so wrong. He's so okay. wrong because Wade is a very monochromatic character. He's, he comes in just one simple flavor and he doesn't really change all that much. And he's very open. He's just this super rah-rah, patriotic, wave the flag military guy. Uh, Felix Leiter with Jeffrey Wright, though, that he's got nuance and there is this backstory to him and we don't always know what his motivation it, There's He's a lot deeper than what Wade has ever been. So mm-hmm. that's my response. Yeah. Is he coming back in the new one? Because he wasn't yes. in one of them, right? Um, one of the Craig films or two of the Craig films, I forget. Yeah, he hasn't. Yeah, I can't remember he which ones. One coming he, out. He wasn't in Quantum. I don't think he was. Right. In Quantum. Yeah. He's been in the rest. But is he going to yeah. be in the new one? Is what yes. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure. Good. Because I everybody. I, I agree with with what you're saying about Jeffrey Wright. I mean, we got to see a little of him. You know, we got to see him get married, but then, you know, his wife got raped and then, you know, he got eaten by a shark or half eaten or something. I don't know. Um, The whole thing is that, yeah, it would be nice to have. And and I don't think it's because I'm an American like the character is either. I don't think it has anything to do with it. I think it's just that it would be nice to see him cooperate (laughs) every once in a while because sometimes it gets frustrating when bond is always the hero and that's one of the biggest issues that i have here with this movie twice he had to save michelle yo and that is just unrealistic she would be saving his dumb ass mm-hmm. yes and 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 because he always has to be the damn hero i know it's a james bond film but it's okay if somebody like a felix Leiter would show up and save the day once in a while or somebody else you know what i'm saying like Although all the time, I will say that when he comes in on the boat with the water, it kind of proves the Poseidon thing that that's where he gets his strength. So that's the only reason I'm okay with that part. <laughs> with him coming in to save the day, is because of Poseidon. Other than that, it's some bullshit. Okay. Well, he I mean, definitely does uh, support the Poseidon theory. Yeah, but this does is anybody a super... believe that Michelle Yeoh would have been captured by two guys? Seriously. Yeah. No. Nah, yeah. She would have kicked ass. No. Exactly. She wouldn't have been captured. I mean, weren't there only two guys guarding her when she found out that she was when she was tied up and about to be dumped in the water? How many guys were there? I don't know. It's just yeah. It wasn't she's... enough. It wasn't enough to contain her. <laughs> you yeah, no, no. She totally like roundhouse like ten guys, so yeah. Yeah. She, she can uh, kick like ten feet in the air. She can like yeah, she's she yeah, took on like he brings her back to life with his kiss. Oh, boo! Yeah. Oh my God, puke city. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's so tropey. I yeah, I hate it. If it was the but... Terry Patrick character, if she hadn't died, and and that had happened to her, I would buy it. But not Michelle Yeoh. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she was right. awesome. She she was absolutely awesome. She was like in every single situation, she's more competent than Bond, and I, 
I do I do dislike that they set it up that like oh he's coming in at the last minute to like hit cleanup for her to like take out the one last guy or whatever and it's like well you know left to her own devices she would have taken out that guy but they made it look like oh Bond's coming to save her and then he takes credit for it she didn't need him she had throwing stars in her heels man She's yeah, nice. I want those. Me too. She's awesome. I want to know how I, to use them, but I want them. I, I, I thought some of her gadgets were cool. It was almost like a mini Q session, only with mm-hmm. her playing Q in the middle of the movie. But, like, there was a little Orientalism going on there. And there was a was, lot of Orientalism. You know, I was just like, okay, really, the fan with the darts? Come on, y'all. A dragon that literally breathes fire? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 90s. We just got to chalk it up to the 90s, I guess, because they could get away with that shit, you know? Yeah. Well, they certainly didn't have to worry about, like, could you imagine if they made a movie today with a Chinese government agent in it? Like, oh, God. That would yeah. be like how they would bend over backwards to, like, make sure that that person was, like, all sorts of exactly like the way that the Chinese government wanted them to be just so they could make sure that the movie would do well in, in Asia and um, that it wouldn't get banned in China. Um, And she certainly wouldn't have been able to say like, I don't even own a little red book or, you know, they would not have allowed that scene. Mm -hmm. So, um, or maybe they would, I don't know. Maybe just as long as she doesn't say mean things about Xi Jinping, then she'd be okay. I get as long as they're allowed to save face, as as uh, Price says, which was uh, ugh. Boo. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. Okay, Melissa, were you about to say something else? Um, no, I just you know wanted to express how frustrated I was that um he came in at the end of that fight. And first of all, her first fight scene was with thirty minutes left in the film. Like one people seriously, you have someone as awesome as Michelle Yeoh. She's barely in the first half at all, um, and and then she doesn't get to show off her skill until there's half an hour left in the in the film, and then half of that half hour she's straddling Bond on a bike. You know what I mean? It's it's just um, I don't know. It's it's frustrating, and and. He came in and helped. He he got that last goon, you know, and says, "Oh, you know, like a- acting like he saved her, and he did it." She she had that shit under because she didn't even look scared. You know what I'm saying? Like she was she was gonna handle that shit, and then he brings her back to life with his little kiss underwater, and it just you don't do that to her. You don't do that to someone of her stature, and and so it was very frustrating. And there's a part of me that uh. You know, because she didn't die like some other Bond girl. So, you know, why couldn't she come back later? You know what I mean? Like, I would love to see her get another chance, but to be a true badass. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I don't know. I think she should be in most movies. <laughs> like, it, most yeah. movies be improved with a little Michelle Yeoh in them. So, you know, even really terrible ones like, um, what was that one with Khaleesi in it? The Christmas one? God, that movie. Oh, yeah. She's the, in, um, yeah. Last Christmas. Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. That was a terrible movie. <laughs> like, 
scoot really bad, but she's in it, so I'll watch. But it. she she was she was okay in it. Like yeah, I don't know, there were parts I don't know. Her part's terribly like, underwritten in it, but yeah. oh, but she was so good in Crazy Rich Asians. Oh yes, she is so good. So good. very very good. Yeah, um, all hail Michelle Yeoh. Um, okay. Any anything else, or do we want to talk about the box office? Sure. Let's talk Let's about the box, box office. office. Let's do box okay. Office. Yeah. So this movie came out on December nineteenth of nineteen ninety seven, and it uh, it made a hundred and twenty five point three million dollars at the U.S. box office, which adjusted for inflation. 247.6 that is uh that is quite a bit this movie did very 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 well it made more than goldeneye it made more than the rock um this this is a very very successful movie so uh and and then made 339 million overseas um so all told in, or in, excuse me that's the total box office international and US 339 million um for context that 200 an inflation adjusted 247 million uh compared to last year that would be uh between it chapter 2 and Jumanji the next level. Oh wow, not bad. So that would have been right that would have been poking into the top ten movies of last year. So um that was a big, big movie right at the end of the year. So they did a very good job. Um and competing at the box office against one of the biggest movies of all time, Titanic. Mm. Like this came out the same month at Titanic. And fair. still managed to make really? that much money. It wow. wasn't like a summer movie because didn't Titanic come out in like December or something like right before yep. Christmas or something? Yep. Oh yep. wow! And and so did this. This came out December nineteenth, and yeah. yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what day Titanic came out. I don't remember when Titanic came out because I was not in the country. So I didn't like I, it. Yeah, I don't know. I heard about Titanic two years later, so. Um. Yeah. In Russia, is that where you were? I was. Yeah. It was probably still in theaters when you got back. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, months. I remember it, that. It felt like yeah. it was on there for like a year and a half. Yeah. Phantom Menace was still in theaters when I got back, though. Oh, so well, that makes sense. That was the that was the time frame that I got back. So yeah. Ah. Um. But yeah. So the. Yeah, this was a. I mean, I just think it's amazing that it made that much money um, when it was also going up against Titanic. In a lot of ways, though, good counter programming against Titanic. Um, you know, it, I think that. I bet there were a lot of people who tried to go to see Titanic and couldn't, and it was all sold out, and were like, oh, well, let's go. Let's go see, see the James this. Bond movie. So I think that uh, maybe that helped it a little bit. 
Um, maybe it hurt it going up against something where everyone was going to see it, but they might have been slightly different audiences. I don't know. I, I went with my. I saw both in the theater. I went with my grandpa to see Bond. He did not. He did not go to see Titanic. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there might have been some overlap, like me, but honestly, I wouldn't have gone to Bond if it weren't for my grandpa. And I will say now that because you know, we're going to be rating the movie in a bit, I think um, that that I'm probably going to rate this higher than you might think based on my reaction, just because this was the last Bond movie I got to see with my grandpa before he died. Uh-huh. So, yeah i mean like he didn't die till like december of 2000 and there was actually another bond movie right before that but he was in and out of the hospital so much that we just never got a chance to go um when that one i think the next one was in 99 right or something that's correct yeah, yeah. december of 99 yeah. yeah he he so we just never got a chance to go see it uh but yeah, so I will probably just for that reason rate this a little higher than you might anticipate. <laughs> but um, yeah, th- that theater was pretty packed. I gotta say, it was more packed than I thought, and it was a matinee, so it's oh wow, anything. Yeah, people Mexicans, we did not pay full price to see this movie. <laughs> people liked the uh, people liked the James Bond at this time, so that's that's good. That's good. I don't know if if either. Mark or, or Brooke, if you had any other specific remembrances of, of going to see this no. when it came out. No. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this movie didn't really move me. So, I mean, in the pantheon of Bond movies, it's middle of the pack, possibly the lower half of the middle. But I didn't really have any visceral response to it one way or another. Yeah. Uh um then that leads us very well into studio notes because there's lots of places where we could have was the most memorable thing about this yes (laughs) right right so we all agree major studio note more More michelle yo please from the beginning of the movie yeah and Mm -hmm. stop sending men in to fucking save her ass she's fine yeah she's fine i thought i told andy this in the chat while we were watching it is that um, that scene where they they like you have a phone call, Mr. Bond, and he, like an idiot, he follows them. He's got to know it, this is not good, but he follows them and they start beating him up. She was in the room and she saw what was going on. Like she saw him leaving and she couldn't. I really thought that she was going to come in and save the day, but she didn't. Of course, Bond took care of it because Bond. And I really think they could have, if they, you know, because she only got the one really big fight scene. We could have easily gone in there and saved him and had another great fight scene much earlier in the film, you know, in the first third, instead of waiting to see her again till the halfway mark or something. Do you understand? Agreed. That would have been the perfect place to put more of her and show her off and what her abilities. And they didn't, they didn't do it. Yeah. Melissa, I, I counter with having her, as Brooke said, show up from the very beginning like the opening scene you know Mm -hmm. if she would have had a presence there and that way established that she was going to be his opposite in china uh, you know shrouded in mystery that would have moved the move the movie a lot more than what it did uh because we would have been wondering like who is she what what are her true motives what's she doing there and why is she working against bond like that would have been really cool from the very beginning i would have put her there and added more intrigue to her character yeah, I yeah, I agree. Could have done that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I and not only would I have 
wanted more Michelle Yeoh martial arts scenes. I think we need to up the quality of these martial arts scenes too. These were, these were good and she is very good, but like, this is like the golden age of Hong Kong stunt choreography right here. We're literally a year and a half away from the matrix coming out. This is the height of both Jackie Chan and John Woo. And and we're also, you know, two years and something from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is like her her masterpiece. And yeah. it's an epic. You know, there's there's stuff that could have been done. I mean, I yeah, feel like every Jackie Chan movie from this era is like they took like, hey, let's grab like five things out of a box and put them in a room and like. Designed some silly fight choreography around it. Like, let's grab a ladder and some paint cans and a broom, and that's and that's your fight scene. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, like yeah. that's every. We get fire breathing dragons, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Oops, they could have hit its head. <laughs> they could have done. They could have done something. But they're not good. When they steal shit from other countries, they they put it in a crown and put it on a queen's head. You know what I'm saying? They don't. They're not good at like. I don't know. They're they're only good at like invading shit. Like years, you know, centuries. <laughs> they're not. You know, I, I don't ex like. I understand what you're saying, and that would have been nice. But I don't expect that from a Bond film. I mean, we're talking about films where like. A plane literally flew out of a horse's ass, and you want them to be like second <laughs> level, like you know. I, just, I don't see it. You know, I, I just, you know. I love that the horse's ass never dies. Yeah, that's what they should have named this. That's movie. what they should have called the movie. The horse's ass, ass never dies. Yep. Oh, Fuck tomorrow. <laughs> yep. Well, there was a plane in the beginning of this movie, so you know they missed out. Didn't come out of any ass I saw. Yeah. So, no, you're absolutely right, Melissa. And I, I mean, don't, I, I don't mean to offend the British. We've already offended Montana people and Wyoming people. Who else have we offended? The Italians on this show, like, you know, I don't mean to offend another another country, but but I just don't see them, unless you know it involves like teacups or you know something. Well, I don't know. The first time I went to the Nash. The History Museum in London. I was like, "This is the largest collection of stolen artifacts I've ever seen." Well yeah. done. Well done. Mm -hmm. If they can't put it on the display at a museum, they they don't know what to do with it. You know, it's just yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I just um, I don't know. I I I I would have loved to seen that movie, Andy. I just don't think it's very realistic for this particular franchise. Because you know, you're you're entirely correct. I just I just you know. I mean, God forbid somebody outshine Bond, you know, uh, <gasps> even though in her limited scenes in this movie, she certainly did, you know, she right. certainly did. Well, when we are when we are all done with Bond at the very end, we're going to get to Atomic Blonde. And like, that yes. is what I'm talking about, where like they took a spy movie and made it a martial arts thriller at the same time. And you know, I just, you know, I want. Speaking of, uh, can we, can we, I mean, can we take a, a little bird walk to talk about the rumors Cobra about Kai? Tom Hardy? 
Oh. Or well, we can talk about Cobra Kai if you want to. Well, but, okay. I don't know. I, I, I don't has know. it been confirmed by anybody? No, no, no. These are complete rumors. Oh, okay. This is not confirmed by anyone. There is a rumor that many outlets are running with that Tom Hardy will be the next James Bond. What? And on the one hand, I love Tom Hardy. Yeah. He's great. He's absolutely great. And he would do fine. No. On the other hand, he's a I, boy. I want I want more. And and maybe Melissa, to your point, I shouldn't be expecting more from this franchise. So I don't know. But I, I feel like can I have something a little different that's gonna you know, we've had twenty five of these movies. Can we get can we get them to start being a little more different? Because there's well, more different out there. There, there is, and mm-hmm. I, I think the next Bond, and not just because we, you know, diversity, but just because it's it's just past time. But a, a Bond of color, you know what I mean? A person of color, and and yep. the only thing that gives me hope, though, they did finally give us a female doctor in Doctor. Mm-hmm. So maybe James Bond. No. No, I'm not saying a woman, Marco. Marco loses mind. I I know you're already not on board with that, Marco. But I'm saying is is that you know maybe we can have a black man or an Indian or somebody. You know they're still British, of course, but just Mm -hmm. you know not so white. (laughs) I, I I really like Tom Hardy. I think he's a gifted actor. The dude has put on some performances that are Jesus Christ. If nobody has seen that movie, Branson, watch that, people. That movie's fucking nuts, and he is beyond spectacular in that movie. Um, but my reservations with him is that I mean, he's he's only a couple years younger than I am, and I'm old. And mm-hmm. the thing is, he'll look great for two movies and then the age is going to show. And I don't want to be in another Roger Moore situation. So I want somebody younger. Do I care what their, what their race is? I really don't. The one thing that I want to avoid is I want to avoid uh, going full circle over origins. Cause I don't want this to be a Batman situation where we're we're redoing origins. Like every fucking four years, I, I don't want that shit. I think we started something great with Daniel Craig. He's going to be out of the way. Fine. He he did what he did. He started a narrative. They rebooted the entire story with him. And I want a continuation of that story. I want them to build on that narrative. I don't want to start all over again because that's really going to suck. So wherever it is, I don't care if they're Pakistani, Indian, or uh, African, uh, it, you know, because all those races are represented in the UK. Uh, or white, I don't care. As long as they're young enough to where we can get another four to five movies out of them, and then do do it with somebody else after that. That's all I care about. Tom Hardy, great actor, fantastic actor. I'll watch anything he's in, but I think he's already at the edge where it's going to be. He's going to be too old for this part. I agree so with you on that. Roger Moore, just like you know geriatric in his in his bond or something right and you know he was a great actor great actor dude was good looking the dude was great he would have been a great bond 10 years before he started yeah Uh, and but and his age played a big part as to why those movies 
uh, went downhill the way they did. And, and I don't want a repeat of that. Yeah. I I also agree, which is why on the on the very first episode of this podcast, I said that James Bond's greatest villain is time. Because, you know, as the years go on, you just want to see those people in those roles less and less. And it's, you know, it's it's tough. Um, so, yeah, I just but I really want I really kind of wish the franchise would branch out a little bit more. And I mean, we're getting we're getting Lashana Lynch in this movie, um, you know, and and she's playing another double O agent. And and that's great. That's going to like scratch part of that itch. But could we like, I don't know. So are you OK with that? Yes. Oh, I'm 100 percent OK with that. Hell so yes. only the 007 can't progress to a female. Is that what you're saying, Marco? Because there's a, a established narrative that it's a person, it's James Bond. You know, if somehow that changes in the narrative that makes room for that, great. They did that with Doctor Who and they did it beautifully. And I love the new Doctor. She's fucking brilliant. Uh, and she brings so much to the series. Uh, but that hasn't happened in James Bond. James Bond has strictly been one person. There's an established narrative as to... Who that person is now that the nationality the background the, the racial background of, of that character can change i don't care but it's been firmly established who james bond is now i'm all for a spin-off series of uh lashana lynch or anybody else maybe a shadow double o uh organization uh where they eventually meet up or work against james bond and crossover movies that would be fucking great expand this all the way you can that would be great, but to just change the sex of the character, it's it wouldn't make sense. It just wouldn't. Interesting too. Yeah. I don't know. And I think it would be so it's interesting that, to do it, and it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, it's interesting to me that you would draw a line on gender, but not ethnicity and background, and like that's that's. Yeah, and, and I don't, it's not coming from, from a, a place where like, you know, women can't handle it. Not at all. Like, and I'm not the only one. Uh, uh, what's the name? Uh, fucking Fleabag. Fleabag. Uh, yeah. She's very anti-changing changing the sex. She's like, why would anybody do that? That may, She said, it makes no sense. And I'm with her. It, it, you, it would be like changing Winnie the Pooh from being a bear to being a pig. It, why would you do that? It makes no sense. It, it just no, doesn't. Well, it, it would be a female bear this. compared to a male bear. You're not yeah, changing ethnicity is more than changing gender. It does. It the narrative isn't there, y'all. It just it just isn't. But it could be, and it would be very easy to to change that. That's why I'm it, not sure why. It, I mean, all they had to do was write something into to to doctor who where where the the master could turn into a woman and then all of a sudden okay now now doctor the doctor can be a woman too and it was so easy right they, but it was established first do it they but just it, but do it it was established though and it hasn't i mean if you change the narrative in this coming movie to where double or james bond isn't a real person it's just a code name then okay, we can work with that. 
but it's not. In Skyfall, it was established who James Bond is. We know who he was born to, where he came from. It's established, y'all. You can't change that. James Bond is an actual person. Now, if for whatever reason that changes in the narrative in the next movie, then we can work with that. But up until this point, that cannot be changed. It's canon. Yeah. I think I think we're a little too precious about what is and what isn't canon. I'm all all for breaking apart the canon, but but fandoms react poorly when that happens. Like, look at look at the Last Jedi and the freak out that toxic Star Wars fans everywhere had about that. I thought it was brilliant. Me too. No, those fans are clearly sexist. They had a problem with a female Jedi. They had, they, they had a problem with a black character leading Star Wars. Like, that's different. Like, they had racial reasons. They had uh, anti-feminist reasons. I, I have no problem with a female taking the lead role. But, like, this has to make sense, you guys. It has to. If not, it falls flat. Look at the Ghostbusters movie. All they did was swap uh, female actors for the male actors. And... Some parts of it worked. It was just meh. It, it really was. And granted, y'all are going to come back and say, well, you know, guys, you know, fanboyed this movie. Okay, yeah, I'll concede to that because there's a lot of man babies out there. But objectively, this movie wasn't all that great. It, it could have been so much better. But all they did was just switch the male Egon for female Egon. The male, uh, yeah. Don't tell me, oh, I know what you're going to say. You don't know what I'm fucking going to say. I, well, I, no, that movie was mediocre at best. Okay, well, it had I'm, its moments, but it was mediocre. And it had nothing to do with the fanboys. It was just mediocre. That's it. And it has nothing to do with... So I'm a little annoyed that you would say what you think I was going to respond. No, I wasn't talking about you. Uh, we've, had the, we've had this discussion before, uh, oh. Andy and I and Brooke. Uh, so sorry that I included you in that, and I didn't mean to make you feel okay. like uh, like your your opinion was invalid. It's not like it's not that at all. We this is a rehash of a conversation we've had before, but the whole thing about gender swapping—if you're just going to do it for the sake of gender swapping—it doesn't work. It, it really, very rarely, very rarely does it work. And That's one of the greatest I'm examples. What was that? I'm sorry. I think if you gender swapped Bond, it's to move the franchise forward, not just for the sake of doing it. It's because maybe people are just tired of middle-aged white men. You know, I mean, if, if that was true. Because uh... and another thing, Craig was so good. Where do you go from here? Who's going to be able to live up to that? Maybe a woman. Maybe something very different. Maybe a man of color. You know, but but I'm not saying it has to be a woman. I'm just saying that that. You're not doing it just for the sake of doing it. I think putting a woman in moves the franchise forward. You understand? I, I can understand your argument, but if you say that people are tired of, you know, a character being represented that way, I mean, you yourself said it. Daniel Craig has been knocking it out of the park. I mean, James Bond is hotter than ever, and it's because of that dude. You know, so right. they're not tired of it. Uh, for me. For me, I don't care as long as it makes sense. And it's already been firmly established that this person is an actual person. It cannot be changed. That cannot change. When they established that he was a person, they changed everything. So why can't it change again? You're, you're acting like they changed it once and that's like the limit of the changes. Well, 
and I'm going to go back to what I said before. I don't want to be in a situation where we're just rebooting every four to five movies. Every I don't. I want to get away from that. I want to run with the established narrative. Like maybe this is the bookworm in me where I start a series and I just want to continue with that series. And if you break that series, you lose me as a reader. Um, maybe th maybe that's 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 a fault of mine, and that's what I'm bringing into this. But it's been established, and I want them to continue with that established narrative. I don't know. I mean, I think that it's still... I mean, there's a problem that if we assume that James Bond's first mission as a double O was what we saw in Casino Royale, and he was somehow, like, saving Fort Knox from Goldfinger... In the 1960s, like, you know, unless James Bond has a time machine like that, I, I just I don't understand why it is a big deal to say, like, it's it's OK that this is a code name and that Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig's James Bond is his own person. And, um, you know, and then. The British government is going to decide that the next James Bond is going to be, you know, someone else who is not I'm, a white man. I'm cool with that, but we discovered the family crest and where he was born and who he is. You know, we traced back his origins in Skyfall. But we, I well, mean, one of the things we can do is we can let the people decide. Let's put a poll out there and see who would be okay with this. Well, I mean, you could do that, but but also, Mike, Mark, you're getting so precious with the canon because you're saying that the bond, that the same bond family crest, is the same one that George Lazenby is looking at in 1967, I, and that's that's obviously not true. Right, and and, like, and I, I hear you on that, but I mean, I think we've 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 already come to a consensus that Casino Royale is a hard reboot of the entire series. Mm -hmm. Did we not come to that consensus? Yeah, I mean, but so if, but, if it's see, but you're go ahead. But you're but you're arguing out of both sides of your mouth here by saying like, oh, but Daniel Craig and James Bond and Skyfall, and so we know that it's this person, and like, so I I don't know. I just I don't understand why you like are so like insistent that like it has to be this way when I'm just like. I don't know. I just, like I said, I think we are entirely too precious about canonicity. And I just, I don't, I don't care if, if they want to reboot it in order to tell a different kind of story. Great. If, if you took, um, if, if you took Atomic Blonde and made Lorraine Brasco's, um, name James Bond, that would not change that movie at all for me. That's that's still an amazing movie, and I would say that's maybe the best James Bond movie ever. And you know, and then it would just be like, oh, because James Bond is a code name that the British government always uses. Cool. I like I'm cool with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great movie. So right. I'm I mean, just that, that's you know where I fall. I mean that that's that's where I'm at. I mean I very well probably am in the minority on this and like i said i do bring in the bookworm background to where i've 
I've read this, it's established, and my expectation is that. Um, and I'm one of those reader, readers that gets bothered when that is changed. Like, it, it's just, that's the book nerd in me. I'm, you know, I'm sorry I bring that. And, and I, I very much can see that I'm probably in the minority on this. No, I and think if, you're probably in the majority, just not here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. You know what oh. I'm saying? Like, I think in general with Bond fanboys, you're probably right there in the vast majority. Um, and it's funny that you brought up book series because I think this series is at its literal best when they're not following a book like Skyfall. Like, right. the Bond books, you know. Um, you're right. You're right. You bring up a series of books and I'm like, well, but the best Bond, in my opinion, is the one that wasn't based on a book. So um, I just think it would get stale if they did what you say. Um, it might be fun for a few more movies depending on who the new Bond is, but it would get stale and you're then you would ha be forced to reestablish or, or produce a new canon or blow the old one up or something because uh, you, you wouldn't be able to keep the interest because this is the thing about Bond. It's funny that, that Andy said, you know, uh, his biggest enemy is time. I think this franchise's biggest enemy is time as well, because sure. I don't see a lot of millennials or Gen Z's going to these movies and being excited about these movies. And when I think when our generation and older, when we stop going to movies or die or whatever, who's going to watch Bond? This Bond. Old yeah. Bond. Do you understand? Yeah, no, you have a fair point. They're going to have to move the franchise forward so that it interests a new generation of moviegoers. Because right now, I see Gen X and older are the primary ticket buyers to these movies. And, I, you know, I, I'm not saying no millennials or no Gen Zs go, but not nearly as many because they didn't grow up with this um, at, in the same way as we do. And because they grew up with so many more choices of what to watch. Do you understand? Um, right. So his enemy is time, the franchise, not just Bond in, in, in each movie or each era, just as a total. And so unless you do something different, it's not going to work because the younger people, they're not going to put up with nothing but middle-aged white dudes playing Bond forevermore. They're just not going to do it. Do you understand? I hear you. I hear you. And you make a fair point. You, you, you absolutely do. I just, I, I, I really like sticking to narrative. And I think that's my, the biggest fault in, in what I bring to this. If, yeah. if any reason it's, it's that, you know, it's not that, you know, I'm afraid of ladies or I don't like ladies being no, tough. I, I not at all. I don't yeah. think that I, I know you well enough to know that's not what you mean. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes I have to like, smack you you know because you say something <laughs> uh no you know that's a, maybe a little sexy but you didn't mean it you didn't realize it you know i'm not i don't think you're a sexist person at all um so i know what you're saying but but it, but it is funny you say that because like i remember when we were talking about the dc universe you know they have the movie one and then they have the same characters played by different actors in the tv shows and you're okay with that split narrative but you're not okay with a different narrative in Bond. Because those are two different worlds. Those are two different universes. But it's the same characters. I hear you. Like yeah, but, it, but they're they're two different narratives set in two different universes. 
Mm. So I'm cool with that. I, I, that doesn't sound consistent to me somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. On you, by the way, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to pick on you. I think what I'm trying to do, I find it interesting, and I'm just sort of picking at it to see how deep this goes for you, you know. And apparently, it's very deep. Like that's how you feel. And, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, I, I think if this franchise is going to survive past whoever the next Bond is, it really needs to change. And I think the next Bond might need to be at least the beginning of that change. I'm not saying you got to go out and do, you know, make it into a woman, but it needs, needs to be a person of color. You know, uh, the change needs to start now because he could be bond for 10, 15 years. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I absolutely hear you. I wish, uh, it, Idris Elba was younger because he, he, he oh, is bond. Yeah. Like, yeah. He should have been bond. Like that was his role. Uh, he's much too old now. Uh, I mean, he could probably get away with doing one solid uh, Dean's Bond movie, a la George uh, Lazenby. But uh, like, it, it sucks that he wasn't given the opportunity years ago because he deserved it because he would have been fantastic. But I, I, hear where, I hear where you come from. Yeah. My dream scenario would have been Skyfall is the last Craig movie and then let let him do like maybe two or three movies before he got too old. You know, Idris Elba. Yeah. And, and you know what I'm saying? Like then his last movie Absolutely. would have been like in the next couple of years and he wouldn't have been too old. He would have been, you know, a little maybe too old, but, but he, he's got like this youthful thing. I think he could have brought out, but that would have been, cause then, I mean, Craig, come on. I don't know what this next movie, how good it's going to be, but it's not going to be better than Skyfall probably. And so he should have well, left. I, I hope it is. Well, I hope so too, but I, you know, I don't know. I doubt yeah. it, but honestly, um, that the, person, like the person I wanted for Bond forever. I mean, Idris Elba as Bond would have been so perfect. It, it would have been so, so good. But the person I really wanted forever because of the range he's shown in movies is Chiwetel Ejiofor. Uh, I, that dude mm -hmm. is just so good. He would have been such a great Bond. Um, he may still be able to pull it off for a couple of movies. Uh, but he's also up there in age as well. But I, I completely hear your your argument where you're coming from, and they do need to do something to keep interest going. I totally understand that. Um, so, so I, I hear you. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> there Sorry, we are on. So no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, this is the ultimate studio note: is who do you cast as as James Bond? Um, uh, any any other studio notes before we before we move on? Uh, James Bond oh. does not need to have sex with all the Bond girls. Like I was really mad that him and Michelle Yeoh got together at this end at the end of this movie. You know, it's one thing for him to breathe life back into her or whatever with the you know underwater, but they had to get it on too. Really, I mean, right. showed no interest in him at first, and nothing they happened between then and like the end of the movie would make me think that all of a sudden she wanted him, you know, like, yeah. And I don't know like what, I don't care like how hot Pierce Brosnan is. You've just been in the cold ocean in the South China seas and you were on a boat that is <laughs> on fire and you're going to be like, oh, we'll wait until the next the next time the ship comes around looking for us. Like, I want to make out with you some more. Like, what? No. 
like that that's that's ridiculous for queen and country andy <laughs> but she's not doing it for queen and country she's not yeah so i just i again i just i don't that's not you know i yeah that's ridiculous but but it's you know it is the bond trope it is because they do that exact same thing in four or five other movies oh we we escaped and they're looking for us and let's hide under the parachute or let's hide on the the escape raft or you know whatever it is and it's you know they're just checking off all those check boxes so yeah, yeah dumb no reason to do that very dumb. uh anything else okay yeah best tech or gadgets uh, I will be the voice of John Madsen here and say Nightboat. <laughs> Nightboat's <laughs> cool, but I really dig the BMW 750. I wanted yeah. that. When I saw the movie, I was like, I wanted that. I also wanted it with missiles. I want it with a remote control. Yeah. I want a remote control car so much all the time. <sighs> yeah. I'm just... Kind of Turn it on from a block away, like have it meet me around the block. That would be cool. Yeah. I agree. The car is the best part. Although I think that the car chase scene in that parking garage was a little long. Um, it was. Yeah. It, it, it didn't need to go that far. But, you know, it, it's still because I think in that moment, like when I was watching in the theater, I was like, because, you know, I think I mentioned that, like, CGI and all these special effects, a lot of them were, were just kind of ramping up. And I, I know that was, like, a lot of practical stuff. But, but, like, it reminded me just, like, how we could take out a phone, which most people still didn't have in 1997 because they were very expensive still. And you had to have good credit, mm -hmm. which means me as a Mexican <laughs> was, like, it. Yeah, nobody had phones in 97. <laughs> but... But, you know, so it felt kind of like, um, you know how like in Star Trek, I'm going to take it back to Star Trek again, y'all. Um, you know, they had these these things, you know, we didn't know what to call them at first, but they were basically like an iPad where they were, you know, pressing things and checking things out. And, and you know, they, they had that since the 1960s in Star Trek. And nobody could imagine that, that we would actually have things like that, these little flat looking, you know, tablets that that you could push things on there and things happen you know what i mean and so watching that car scene kind of reminded me of that you know that star trek feeling like i wonder if we'll ever get that in the future you know what i mean and it, and, and self-driving technology of course is still not perfect but it's happening you know um so i kind of had like one of those moments during that scene so i i do think it was cool it just went on way too long but that is my favorite gadget by far Brooke, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you have a? Do you have any favorite tech or gadgets from this? Movie? Oh, I said the car. Oh, okay. You said the car too. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I, I just don't think it. I'm speaking very loudly. Oh, it's okay. I'm speaking. I'm just not heard. No, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Now I feel bad. Oh, okay. Any anything else? Okay, Brooke. Then you you go ahead and tell us what is your best one liner or quote from this movie. God, I don't even know on this one. They were all so forgettable. Sorry. I've, I've got one. Uh, you go for it. Never argue with a woman. They're always right. Nah, nice. I'll take that one. 
It wasn't it wasn't meant seriously, I think. It probably should have been. Uh especially <laughs> when he's talking about Michelle Yo. You're better, James Bond. So uh anyway, uh other favorite one liners or quotes. Uh, there are some bad ones in here. They were cringy. There are nothing but bad ones, but the only one that kinda caught my attention is because Money Penny said it. Uh, you always were a cunning linguist, James. Ah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guarantee he's horrible at that. Yeah, <laughs> he's horrible. At that. Oh but, yeah, way too selfish. Fighting his women throughout this movie. Yeah, wasn't that weird? Yeah, it's always nibbling on people. He's always nibbling on shoulders. <laughs> like, all right, dude, slow yeah. down. I mean, I okay. get how that's, that can be good, but I mean, it's just yeah, seeing it on the movie is weird. It's, it's a lot. It's it's way too much of nibbling. It's like, that's like your one move. Yeah. That's my move. I stopped short. <laughs> you should learn how to be a cunning linguist. Yeah. Okay. Um, best side characters. Money Penny, I think. What? Yeah, I really liked her. She didn't have that many scenes, but she was always a smart ass in every single one of them. Yeah, she's still she's a great money penny. Yes, Maybe, I love her. Yeah, she's she's really great. Um, mine we've already talked about is Jack Wade. So, I uh, he I piece my, I mean he's a recurring character, but like money penny, but I think he's even for the one second that he's in here. Yeah, you need more time. Yeah. Brooke, do you have a favorite side character other than these folks? Not other than Money Penny, I think just she was great. She's my favorite. It's and Brooke does this movie prove the Poseidon theory. Yes. 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 Yeah, it's a solid Poseidon theory. Definitely. This this is like almost the best side movie so. in a long time. Yeah. Like almost annoyingly so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bond is super invincible in the water here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and is this a good James Bond movie? I say yes. Yeah. It's meh. For me. Okay. It's just meh. It's okay. Yeah, it's pretty middle of the road, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, if I had to give it out of ten, I give it a six. It probably deserves more like a four <laughs> or a five, but <laughs> I already mentioned why. You know, I'll give it a little higher, just for yeah. like memories and nostalgia's sake. But this is like a four, four point five. I think. It, you know, I wow. think if they had a better villain and the more yeah. Michelle because it, it really, I take two points off just for not enough Michelle Yeoh. Like that's mm. you just can't have somebody like her and not use her better. But so yeah, tough but fair. Yeah, it's a solid five for me. Um, it could have been better. It could have received a higher score if anybody but Jonathan Price uh, would have had that role of Car Carver's role. Yeah, I think this is a seven, which is a gentleman's wow. C. Wow, wow, it's a gentleman's C. I mean, it's not great, <laughs> but it's. But I mean, but I mean, but come on, like, it's not, this isn't a bad movie. 
it's it's just not a great movie. I think there are really great elements in it, and um, I understand like the desire to take points off for other stuff, but I just I don't know. I I like it a lot better than most Bond films. I'll give it that. I just wish certain things were a little different. But I understand your rating, Andy. I mean, I gave it a six, so you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um. It is. It is absolutely the second best Brosnan movie. (laughs) And and I think and I think it is better than two of the Craig movies. I think it, okay. I think it's better than Quantum of Solace, absolutely, Most and I better. think it's right there with Spectre. I think it's a little bit better than Spectre. There's parts of Spectre that bore me. Oh no, that's you're crazy. Yeah, maybe. I'd I I'll tell you what. If you said, "Hey, here's Tomorrow Never Dies and Spectre," which one do you want to sit down and watch right now? And I just watched Tomorrow Never Dies two times this week and watch parties with y'all. I'd watch Tomorrow Never Dies again over Spectre. I'm just bored by that movie. Is Spectre the one with Bautista? What's his name? Uh, yeah, and Hans Landa. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Um. So, so you think it, that this movie's better than that? I think so. I don't. I. I. I'd rather watch it as mustache twirly and all. I I, it, I would probably have to see it again, but I I I don't think I disagree, but I'm not sure I completely agree either. Yeah, because no. I've only seen Spectre the once, so I I have to see it again. But again, um, I think I think I this is a controversial opinion for me. I think I could, I think most people would agree it's better than Quantum of Solace. I think yeah, I am because that movie was just poking. <laughs> Yeah, That's the greatest think, thing for Quantum Solace. It's, it's it's boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it, but this is this is absolutely the second best Brosnan movie. The the other two are very not good. It, it gets it gets a lot worse after this. <laughs> so Wait, the next one, Denise Richards. Yes, mm-hmm. the next one is yeah, Denise Richards right. as Christmas it Jones. Worse. It gets way worse. Christmas fucking worse. Jones. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. and then and then Die Another Day is my least favorite Bond movie of all of them. So, um, yeah. So I yeah maybe it's maybe it's just because of its peer group. I'm rating this on the curve a little bit higher, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I don't hate it. I don't hate this, and I think that. But I think I do have a higher opinion on it than than most other people. Brooke, is this a good James Bond movie or a bad James Bond movie? Oh, I said at the beginning, I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Would Would you have a rating for it or not really? I feel like you just don't hear me. I put this at a six. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, And is James Bond a good person or a bad person in this movie? Just an annoying, dumb person. I can't disagree with you. Did you hear me? Andy? Yeah, I did. I, I, I laughed. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I um, like I love her. He's he's a completely like not anything in this movie. I think he follows his orders, and he does the mission, 
and he makes out with people. It's the same. It's the same James Bond he's always been, who is not a good person, but not a bad person. He's right. just like he's he's just bleh. It's not a which is not a good person at all. So I think this is a, a James Bond relapsing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Pretty, pretty much. And um, you know, very very sad. We saw at the at the end credits that this film was dedicated to the memory of uh, uh, Cubby Broccoli, Broccoli who, who died during the production of this movie. So very sad. Um, but uh, hasta la vista, Senor Broccoli. And uh, thanks, thanks for all the Bond movies. This is definitely a very James Bond movie in the type of movie that he made over and over and over again. So, um, in some ways a fitting tribute to him, but yeah. And that's, uh, tomorrow never dies. Um, any other final thoughts? Okay. Let's wrap this up. Uh, (laughs) next time, um, we're going back out of James Bond and we're going to talk about another mini franchise here all three of the Austin Powers movies next. So prepare all of your terrible Austin Powers jokes and references because we're we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna do uh, we're gonna do Austin Powers International Man of Mystery, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and Gold Member. All in one, so we get through it all at the same time. Uh, because I think I think we wow. can get through all three movies in in one podcast. Yeah, pretty much, I man. So. I think it depends on how many people try to do impersonations. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> like, There'll be an hour and a half of impersonations. Depending on who you have on, I can picture some of your friends like being like, you know, impersonation every five minutes. Like, I maybe know. we need to outlaw uh austin powers impersonations i think i think actually i'm the most likely person to do a a bad power austin powers impersonation so i would yeah maybe i'm terrible at impersonations is that these movies don't have much of a plot (laughs) and and they all recycle the same jokes from each other yeah so you know for the last uh, time where he says i love Oh, uh oh, Mark Mark brought out the the fir- so that, Mark's gonna do gold member impersonations. Yeah. No Austin Powers or Doctor Evil impersonations, but you can do gold member if you gold really member. really have to. Begin. What about Fat Bastard? You know somebody's gonna impersonate him. That again, that would probably be me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, uh, or Mark, Mark's already doing it, so there we are. Exactly, it's it's, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're gonna be able to do all three in one because you're gonna have. (laughs) that <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to no like no impressions we're just gonna have to like plow through them and, and talk through them like somewhat critically and like and what 
and and ask ourselves the same question like why did they exist how are they a reflection of james bond how did they like affect the james bond mythos um going forward and uh you know what what cultural impact they have i think it's really interesting because these were i mean austin powers was huge yeah in like the late 90s early 2000s and like now it's just like nope like no no real like lasting cultural impact other than like memes and and movie quotes but i don't so i think it'll be interesting to like deconstruct what happened and uh Okay, thanks everybody. Uh, we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye.